Welcome to Open the Voice Gate, episode 42. I'm your host, your old pal Mike Spears. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You could follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate or my own personal account at Fujiheya. That's Fuji with two eyes like Don Fuji. You could subscribe to us either on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network RSS feed or we have a dedicated Open the Voice Gate podcast feed if you just want the show by itself and if you get a chance please rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice we're on itunes google podcasts spotify pretty much if there is a podcast catcher platform out there you could find us there so i just want to leave this episode off at the top by giving a little bit of a I don't know if I'd call this a mea culpa or just an apology. These uh, reviews that are coming from Hokkaido from the 24th of May through the 26th of May were done before knowing that Dragon Gate has changed the format of the King of Gate tournament from what was previously known. You see, when we initially did the preview for King of Gate, this was back right after Dead or Alive. It was known that, at least through their social media, that they were doing a quarterfinal stage to this. So not only did the winners of the block advance, but also the runners-up. However, after these shows happened in Hokkaido, I'm recording this intro on June the 3rd, but after that was revealed, we found out that that's not the case, that they are using their pre-existing format of just block the winners of the block advancing on to the knockout round starting at the Corkin on the 6th going into Fukuoka later that this week so apologies for that it just would have been a real hassle to go back and record these show reviews that I did right after the show so I just wanted to give a little bit of a explanation before we get into it but yeah this week's episode going to be talking about the Sakaido shows, going to talk about what the June Corkins card is going to be. Nothing else for June has been announced yet because they're it's presumably waiting until the Corkin show to happen that they will release the rest of it. And that's it for this episode. This is a pretty short one, but thank you all for listening and let's get into a really fun triple shot and Sapporo. The first show of the Hokkaido Triple Shot was on May 24th from Sapporo's Susukino Mars Gym. 
it was on the 24th and that means we'll be up on the network until the 31st i don't know how much from the show is going to get pulled onto the affinity that will go back up on the network but i say that mainly because this was probably my least favorite king of gate show so far it's either this or the more recent kobe show earlier this month they're just it just is one of the ones that i feel like that with this weekend having three shows in a row there are people that either took it off or these were the matchups in the tournament i just weren't i was not as excited for but let's just get into the show specifics it was at the susakino gym the attendance was 405 this was down from the last time they were in the arena which was on december 2nd from last year which was 709 but the reason that that kind of happened is they only run two triple shots in hokkaido each year and they they turned to a triple shot when their previous venue i forgot its name when it shut down they made it into a three night thing so they run six shows there a year so probably the more accurate number to judge this against was last year's December, November to December triple shot, which started on the 30th, which had 440. So still down a little bit, but to be honest, this wasn't the biggest card. And as this weekend went along, they, they started doing something that I think probably helped out the house a little bit. So overall, before we get into the show itself, if you're if you're tight on time and you especially tight on time before the show gets taken off the network, I recommend checking out the KZ versus UT match and then the Kaido Ishida versus Bing K match. Everything else was either bad or just not really worth your time, to be quite honest. But let's take the show from the opener. It was a tag match with Ada and Takashi Yoshida of RED versus Rio Saito and Shun Skywalker. Ada got the win on Rio Saito in 10 minutes and 47 seconds with his Imperial Imperial Uno super kick. I went two and a quarter for this. This was a fun opener, just not much to it. This actually had probably the more uh, the more silly Ada than you're usually seeing. He kind of goofed around with the kid who did not hit the gong appropriately the first time, and then. He kind of did like a map risk, a mask rip on Shun early that didn't work out, and he got sent into the turnbuckle after missing a baseball slide. The crowd was pretty hot early, which was kind of interesting. The Kirk kind of, the show kind of fluctuated with the crowd support, but they were into this early. They there was a lot of Shun in this match early, and it was kind of more of a two on one match. And then it kind of devolved into a, a Rio Saito versus Ada part that was done more comedically like they were going back and forth for a brain buster and then they went back to that same move later so it just was kind of just a little bit of a jovial kind of opener and not necessarily what you expect out of ada but it was fun match two was the first king of gate match of the night it was from the b block and had masato yoshino who went into this match standing at one and two of two points going against yujushi kanda who went in the match of zero points, having lost his only other match. Uh, Masato Yoshino won this match. This puts him at 2-2 two and two with four points, and his only match left being Maria. He's probably out of it at this point, but he has a chance at least to finish with an above 500 record. And this put Kanda at 0-2 with zero points, and he's 
has a pretty significant hole given how Block B has been a whole lot of Ada just tearing through people. I hated this match. I gave it one and a quarter stars. It just was a whole lot of Yuzushi Kanda doing his crappy brawling, and then there was crowd. There, and then there was like fighting to the crowd. There was four different times that RED fought in the crowd tonight, so that told you how motivated the heels were tonight. The first five minutes had nothing to it. There were two crowd brawls, and it just was just a very bland match, and there's no reason in the world that you should watch this match. And I believe this was the only taped show for Yuzushi Kanda, so you can get away from not really watching any Kanda this tournament. But I think actually there's Kanda in the next night, so... Uh, well, just skip this one. I haven't watched night two yet. I'm recording this on the 28th. Match three was a tag match. So it was a Natural Vibes team of Susumi Yokosuka and Punch Tamanaga going against the mixed team of Yamato and Masaki Mochizuki. I want three stars on this. Uh, Yamato got the win on Punch Tamanaga in nine minutes and four seconds with the Galleria. And this was just like a lighthearted sprint. I mean, Punch is someone that I'm usually pretty down on. I don't think he's a great wrestler. But in this, he he held up his own, and they kind of made this into uh, that he kind of just got the crap beat out of him. And he tagged into Susumu. Susumu would face off and fire up against Yamato and Misaki Mochizuki. The Susumu versus Mochizuki segment they had during this match was a pretty good deal of fun. And then, and then like, the closing stretch was fun, too. Like, Punch tried to pants Yamato as a way to get out of the Galleria, and that just kind of just frustrated Yamato, who did then took like a, uh, did like a really like spinning Galleria, like it was like two full rotations around, just putting an extra oomph on, you're getting spiked with this move now, Punch stopped dicking around, and then Yamato tried to pants him after the match. So this whole entire like lower half of the card was pretty jovial and light and just pretty light. I mean, there's nothing really here to watch or anything that would say go back and watch. I don't think most of this will make the taped infinity, to be honest. Match four was the second King of Gate match of the evening. It was from Block A, where KZ, who entered the match at one on one with two points, went up against UT, who was one and zero with two points. So UT had kind of the match in hand since he didn't already lose, and this was only the second match of his block. However, KZ will get the win in 10 minutes and 55 seconds with the impact, which put him then at 2 and 1, 4 points, which put him just a little bit behind uh, Kazuma Sakamoto, who is nearly done with his block at this point. He's at 6 points, 3 1 record as of the show on the 24th, and only one match remaining. So he's still within striking distance, but Kazuma has the direct head to head tiebreak and this drops ut to one and one with two points i love this match i went four stars this was my match of the night and by a good margin to be honest and this was really kind of cool because uh hokkaido or at least sapporo is probably the closest show to kz's ibetsu so this was probably the biggest the most he's gone to like a local show because i don't think they've ever run a betsu so but so the crowd had a whole bunch of light sticks there and it was the most light sticks i think i've ever seen for a natural vibes entrance and he definitely was the crowd favorite and the start was really great because ut has really kind of made himself into being an absolute prick to people's arms of it if they have any sort of an arm-based offense as we've seen through 
him facing Susumu Yokosuka at Dead or Alive or in this match against KZ, he's going to immediately go after it. So I thought that was really cool. He just started to go just target it, doing kicks, doing holds. And this really worked into like the first six or seven minutes of the match that KZ wasn't able to really give his elbow strikes and his uppercuts the way he usually would because UT spent the first six minutes basically dismantling it. He he took him to the outside, brought him, brought his arm into the ring post. He just dismantled it whatsoever. So, but there was this one moment that he just gave a very that KZ gave this really impained elbow smash that really woke up the crowd. I mean, the crowd was already pretty hot for this match, but that got them to another level. And then Casey started to use his other arm for the elbow strikes, which was really kind of cool and a nice touch. So it really, this was a match that it got UT over a lot more as he's going to, if you're someone who relies on lariats or elbow smashes or just like general power wrestler, you have to watch out because he is someone who's now made his name on completely taking that out of someone's repertoire but it just became interesting because it came a point in the match where KZ kind of noticeably was trying to re- shake out his arm get back more feeling into it and he was like oh I'm gonna do more like holds and power moves because I'm not going to be able to rely on his elbow smash which has been the big thing that's elevated KZ over the last three years was the fact that his elbow strike has been shown to put people down immediately and there was also a moment getting to the final stretch where KZ went for the KZ time that UT just moved just enough out of the way that he could hook KZ's arm as he came down for the splash and locked in the, the Bien Yave, which was really awesome. It really owned. And just this match in general where KZ kind of just immediately then got frustrated and decided, okay, I can't just fool around this guy and wait for my arm to get back to full strength. I'm just going to knock him out with the impact and pile drive him to the mat and win, which he did. So this is a match that is definitely worth going out of your way to watch. It's a match that if you're not able to check out this on the network until after the infinity goes up, it's worth seeing. It's just great. UT really is one of the best technical wrestlers in the world, and this was just another exhibition of that. The last match before intermission was the Strong Machine Army versus the Maximum Team of Naruki Doi, Dragon Kid, and Jason Lee. Strong Machine G got the win this time with his jumping powerbomb onto Jason Lee. Two and three quarters on this. I'm just done with this gimmick. If you, if you only see this gimmick once or twice, you'll think, okay, it's great. But if you're someone like me who watches every single Dragon Gate show that makes tape, you get really kind of tired of it and... This one did have like a, a long beatdown segment that Maximum got a little bit more of an advantage, more so than usual. But overall, this was just kind of your typical Strong Machine Army match. After intermission, we had a unannounced bonus match, which I was in Vegas all weekend. So when I saw these tweets about this coming across my feet, I was going, what is going on here? But BB Hulk did a series of three exhibition matches in Hokkaido. Of course, he's from Sapporo. He actually just opened a bar in the same neighborhood as the gym that the show took place in. So, kind of made sense that he do this. And, you know, he was going against Super Shisha. It was a three-minute draw. All three of these matches were draws. And he came out in his Dark Side Hulk getup, which probably let him get away with a little bit more brawling and not having to do 
anything that was going to cause extreme extortion to his neck. And he looked more mobile than double or nothing. And I always like seeing Super Sisha, so that was kind of cool to see. But yeah, he didn't take a bump and really it was just was brawling for about three minutes and a couple times where Shisha tried to grab a hold and it was just kind of nice to see. I mean, there's not much really else to say about it. The semi-main event was in Block C and it was Binke versus Kaido Ishida. Binke went into this match at 1-0 with two points and he really has most of his matches in the last week of the tournament. So he started a period where he would have four of his five matches within seven days and Kaido Ishida walked in this match 0-1 and he only faced uh, he only faced Ginky Horiguchi so his tournament was still pretty much wide open and in this match uh, Benke won in 11 minutes and 56 seconds with his German suplex hold and that puts Benke Benke right now has a clean sheet so far he's at 2-0 with four points he's towards the, the top of the C block, him and Ginky Horiguchi as of the show. And, and Kaido Ishida is at 0-2, and he has himself a little bit of a hole to get himself out of. And overall, I like this match a lot. I went three and a half stars on it. It was kind of a cool stor- story early with like Binke just trying to steamroll his way through it and until he got th- through, got to the outside. I mean, he was steamrolling through kicks and that was kind of a story throughout this entire match was that Kaido Ishida's strikes weren't as strong as they were against other opponents because Benkei was either too amped or too strong that it didn't really affect him and but that was until he went to the outside and Kaido tried to do his running PK on the apron and that pretty much just had Benkei pick him up but he was able to fight out give him a snapmare and start kicking him to the floor the crowd wasn't as rabid in this match as they have been for most Benkei matches since the turn and I don't know if it was because I mean Kaido Ishida's not from the area they just saw their two big Kaido stars one after another so it's just like okay but the the crowd started to lighten up and get a little bit more into it as it got as this turned into a kind of more of a back and forth match but this was Really kind of a match where it was saying if somehow Kaido Ishida could put something together to take down Binke, who's been looking pretty dominant since he got expelled from R.E.D. at Dead or Alive. And the crowd really woke up when Kaido finally got his little bit of control there. And there was there was this really neat little moment where Kaido kind of realized that my strikes can only do so much for this guy. This guy's so amped up and he's like a... He has so much momentum going that I need to start thinking fast. Like, I can't lock in my Tiger Suplex. He's too strong. He's broken out of it once. My kicks only seem to stun him. So then he started going for flash pins. And I thought that was really kind of a cool moment. And then this was a real fun match that if the crowd was just a little bit more into it, I would have gone much higher for this. It just was a... I, I thought the psychology of this, especially between two guys who, you know... Kaido has been someone that they've been slowly bringing up, and Benkei is getting the uh, the rocket ship push right now. So it was just really kind of a cool match to watch, and probably is going to be one of the matches that at the end of the tournament, you know, unless you're a completist, you're not going to try to go back and find this match. But I thought it was pretty cool, and it had another instance of my favorite cell in wrestling where Benkei is going full steam, and he gets either kicked or knee to the head, 
and instead of falling backwards, he slides through and just kind of gets over the amount of momentum and speed that he gets as a wrestler. The main event for the first night in Hokkaido was the D-block match between Kai and Big R Shimizu. And going to this match, both guys were at two points, but Kai was at one and one, and Shimizu, however, was at one and two. So really for how Block D was shaping up, they both needed to get some points as both Shun Skywalker and Masaki Mochizuki were staying at four points. However, they both would get points because this was a 20-minute time limit draw. So they, they both walk out of this with a draw. They both get one point each, so they pull within one point of the block leaders. And to be honest, this was just not the kind of match that I like in these kind of tournaments. Uh, Kai has been someone that has had his very good moments in Dragon Gate, but then he's also had his moments where he looks like he's really just not fitting in very well. And the weird thing is, is that this was a show that I did not personally want this kind of match, and this is the exact kind of match that happened. And Kai's been having better chemistry with the bigger guys. It's just, I don't know. Maybe it was just the fact that this show at this point was already kind of grinding on me, and I just was not feeling it from, like, the go. And the it, the crowd did kind of get into it, and the crowd was into this entire match, and... This really, it, it really started to get interesting with like the last few minute calls as it started to get desperation. There was a big kick out from Kai where there was a shot put slam and then a lariat combo that Shimizu was already too beaten down to be able to get him. And after the shot put slams, so he went for a lariat and it wasn't enough to get him down. And there was another bunch of brawls to the outside in the beginning that also had me checked out. I gave this thing a gentleman's three. Like, this could have been higher if the first 13 minutes weren't as boring for me. I recognize what it did here. But this was just kind of a blim match. And, you know, that's kind of been a story of King of Gate so far. There's been some really special stuff with some certain wrestlers like KZ. Kazuma Sakamoto has been a very underrated person all year, and he's had... A, a strong tournament so far. Susumi Yokosuka had that incredible first week of May that was outstanding, and then UT was great, and then Yuki Yoshioka and his only televised match was outstanding, but this just wasn't a strong night of the, of the tournament, really, as I said earlier. If you're going to want to like pick and choose, just pick the KZ versus UT match. That was something really special, especially for a uh, sub 11 minute match and then also Benkei versus Kaido Ishida the crowd might not have been as hot but it was an interesting match that had a lot to it but overall I don't know what really they're going to choose from this to make Infinity if I had my druthers it would be the KZ UT and then the uh, Benkei and Kaido Ishida match but knowing them it's probably just going to be the top two matches so Maybe you like the Kai versus Big Arshimizu match more than I do. Maybe I'm just off base here, but it just didn't do a whole lot for me, and it kind of put a capstone on a show that just overall didn't do too much for me. Night 2 of the triple shot from Hokkaido was on the 25th. The full show will be up on the Dragon Gate Network through June 1st, and overall I like the show a lot more than Night 1. There just was... Not as many bad matches on the show or nothing matches that took up a bunch of time and the card all had a, a bit of urgency except for really the Kanda 
King of Gate match and the Strong Machine match, but if you, I've been in the position that after you see Strong Machine Army once or twice, you're good. But overall, it was just a better show. A lot more of the King of Gate matches felt a lot better. And just in general, it just was a whole lot of fun. So the attendance for the Saturday show in Hokkaido was way up from the first nights. It was 603 versus 405, and this seems to be a trend whenever they're in Sapporo at Susukino Mars Gym that the first night doesn't do so well, but the next two nights have more and more attendance. So maybe it's just cheaper for them to get a, a three-night rental on the venue, so they just realize that the first night is not going to have as great attendance in comparison to the other two. But overall, eh, there's a lot more of this show that I would like to see make Infinity. Again, I don't know if they are going to have the full episode. I don't think they're going to. I think they're probably going to have one episode for all three nights. So if you get a chance, the matches just off the top that I think are worth looking into are the R.E.D. team of Aiden and, Sh- and Shimizu versus Benkei and Super Shisa and the Naruki Doi versus Ryo Saito tournament match. Alright, so starting from the opener, it was Masaki Mochizuki and KZ teaming up to face the maximum team of Masato Yoshino and Jason Lee. KZ got the one in 12 minutes and 50 seconds with an elbow smash onto Jason Lee. And this was a fun opener. I went just flat, three stars flat on it, and it was just very leisurely. I mean, they had KZ do the first gong kids, which made sense since... Syrio was going to be in the semi-main event, and KZ is a hometown guy, so it was pretty good. But it's kind of funny that Gong Kid liked Yoshino more than KZ, so that became kind of a little bit of a bit to start the match. And it just was just kind of a leisurely and fun pace. And on the outside, Punch Tomonaga kept on getting involved, and then the uh, Mochizuki, Mochizuki would just be like, whatever, but then the maximum team would just be so frustrated with him to go outside and kick his ass so it was just kind of a fun match and it had a it just never really got out of second gear but it was a nice one and jason lee had some good things so i mean it's just a fun opener i don't expect it to make infinity the first of four king of gate matches on the show was a c block match between kaido ishida who came into this match at 0-2 with zero points versus sakashi Yoshida, who was doing really well in the block 2-0 and, and 4 points. This was a really quick match. It only went a minute and 54 seconds. Kaido went all out at the start, and then very quickly Yoshida took over control until Kaido got a flash pen. So Kaido Yoshida got the win in a minute and 40, 54 seconds with an inside cradle, which puts him at 1-2 and two and 2 points. So he's on the board, and he's still alive in this block. This is the block that Benkei is starting to run away with i think let me check right now but yep yep this is the block that benkei is running away with at least at this point it hasn't had a loss yet so it's probably important for ashita to get a win here so that he could stay relevant in the chase for the second match out of or the second uh block exit out of the group it was just had a word salad there the second knockout person there and then for Takashi Yoshida, he was previously in the driver's seat to probably finish number two in the block. It was going, he was going to have a big match the next 
not the next night in Hokkaido, but the next night in, I think it is, I'm trying, I'm looking this up here because it's going to bother me, in Hakodate. So the next no- night at, out on this tour, he was going to have a big match there. So this was a good match for Ishida to get back on board, but I mean, this is a two-minute match, and I've already talked more than the match was itself. Match three was from the B block, and it had Susumi Yokosuka, who went into this match with a 2-1-1 record with four points. Going against his former tag team partner, a long-time alliance between the two of them, dating back to M2K, Yazushi Kanda. Of course, they won the, the first-ever Yamaha t- tournament in Torimon, Mexico, which I believe was for two scooters, like two Yamaha scooters, which is kind of wild. And Of course, they were the big tag team inside of M2K. Yuzushi Kanda is not doing so well in the tournament this year. He's 0-2, and pretty much of a loss here, he would probably find himself eliminated because 0-3, you're not going to come back from that in the tournament. And this was better than the match against Yoshino the night before. There was, however, three crowd brawls, so not a whole lot going on with it. I went two and a half stars just because Kanda was a little bit more motivated, and Susumu was very visibly covering for Kanda giving him a little bit more, making his bumps a little bit easier for him, and just, you know, he, he knows what his former tag team partner is like nowadays, so he was just going to make it as easy for him as possible. So Susumu won the match that put him at 3-1 with 6 points, and he's in a very good position in the B block. The B block, of course, had Ada, who is the only person in the block without a loss, and Susumu, this puts him in the lead for the block, and, you know, he already had wins against Yoshino, and Yoshioka, he had a loss against Ada, but the only match left in his block was Maria. So he is in a very good place going into the final week of shows and looks strong to get his way out of the block. However, Kanda at 0-3 and with matches against Yoshioka and Ada remaining, he's not going to make it out. I mean, that there's a way probably with some math that he could get out, but it's just not looking so hot for him. And then and that math would pretty much need Maria to win every single match that they're in. So it, Kanda was eliminated on this night. And, you know, good riddance. I hope this is kind of the last show that, or the last year that we had to put up with him in the tournament. And it bums me out that we had back-to-back night of Yuzushi Kanda matches, but we only had to this point one match of Yuki Yoshioka and, one mat- and two matches with Kaido Ishida. He's just someone that, you know... I know he's a long timer and he retired for a while because he had a he had a traumatic injury, but he's just not cut out for Dragon Gate nowadays. So I don't know what the future is for him, but I would like to see him continue to get cycled down the cards and maybe he should be someone that gets treated like Kanichiro Arai, to be honest. Match four had the RED team of Ada and Big R Shimizu go up against Benkei and the Hokkaido local Super Shisa. And I love this match. I went three and a half on that. It was uh, a pretty fun little tag match, especially for the fact that Shisa doesn't get as much ring time now. He's a local guy, so bringing him back up to his home prefecture is a big deal. And this was just a really, really fun match. Shimizu got the win for the RED side in 13 minutes and 34 seconds with a shot put slam on Shisa. And there was more crowd brawling in this match. I mean, it's an R.E.D. match, so there's going to be some crowd brawling, especially 
you know, when they're on shows like this and they're going to try to preserve their bodies a little bit. So doing some crowd brawling was a good idea. In the opening few minutes, there wasn't a lot of Shisa. There was a lot of just Benkei trying to fight off his former teammates. And it was just a whole lot of fun of Shisa. And, and then there was this final segment of him in the match where he was just trying to... He got himself into problems with Ada and with uh, Big R Shimizu. And he would have to try to find it, figure out his way out as someone who's not very an impact or strike-based wrestler. Just trying to figure out, okay, what hold... Or what transition can I use to get the advantage to tag out to Benkei? Because Benkei was playing as the heater. And this was just a really fun match. And I don't know if this will make tape. This is probably right on the cutoff on making tape or not. But if it does make tape, it's worth it's worth not fast-forwarding through this match. And if you have a chance before the first to watch this, I I mean, I pretty much recommend any Super Shisa match. He's just a delight to watch. And he's... Someone that, with the exception of UT, works a completely different style than the rest of the company. The last match before intermission was a D-block match between Dragon Kid and Shun Skywalker. Going to this match, neither guy really had much to say for their block play. Dragon Kid lost his only match to date in the tournament, and Shun was doing pretty well. He was 2-0 with 4 points going into this match, and... Within the D block, the D block has just been wide open. So the fact that Kai and Shimizu had a tie, or had a time limit drawn the last night, kind of just let everyone kind of into it. So, I mean, if, if Dragon Kid got a win, he'd be right back into the thick of it. And if Shun Skywalker got a win, he'd, he'd move out into the block lead. And, I mean, especially for someone like him who, you know, he's getting to a point in the tournament that he needs to kind of put some of these wins together. And I apologize, no, Shun was 2-1 and one at this point. He lost to Kai. So, yeah, this was the second-to-last match. If he got a win here, it would be pretty go a long way to get him outside the blocks and into the knockouts. However, it was uh, Dragon Kid who won in 8 minutes and 41 seconds with the Bible. I went 3 and a quarter on this, and this was just a really kind of fun match, and a match that, I would have, that if it wasn't for the fact that Shun Skywalker might be too heavy for the division, this would have been kind of a kind of a match that i would like to see during dragon kids brave gate reign it just was a lot of them just kind of doing their stuff and the two of them meshing they had some really good chemistry and i liked it a whole lot i mean started off with shun just getting a good start attacking him before the bell and then dragon kid started just to take him apart i mean he kept on going for the cristo and there was a couple times that he went for the bible and there was a moment that it looked like that shun was going to go for a top rope ashla which would have been pretty awesome and it would have kind of followed up on how big of a move that was at the Corkin from earlier in the month, but nah, it, he Dragon Kid was able to convert it into a top rope Hurricane Rana, and then he tried to go for the Ultra Hurricane Rana, but soon Skywalker was able to catch him and not and stop his momentum, and pretty soon after it was Dragon Kid hitting the Bible and winning, and this was just a fun match, and then. That leaves uh, that that brings uh, Shun Skywalker to two and two with four points in the tournament. He has one more match remaining against Jason Lee and Chiba on the thirty first. So that would be they'll figure it'd be a pretty big match for him because he's still really in the thick of it. I mean, there's still Kai ahead of him. Mochizuki is tied with him, but he holds the tie break. And you know Shimizu could pull ahead of him at at Hakodate. And then this was just a big match for. Dragon Kid on the tournament because he 
was started a little bit slow. He only had the match against Shimizu, which I think was one of the Hong Kong matches. But this this started a string of four matches in a week. So him getting a win on the board here was pretty important. So Dragon Kid became one and one with two points. And Shin Skywalker drops to two and two with four points on the board in the D block. After intermission, there was another one of the BB Hulk bonus match, exhibition matches, where he went to a time limit draw with Punch Tomonaga. Really not too much to say about this. He looked a little ginger in comparison to the night before against Shisa. I mean, maybe it was just kind of already kind of feeling everything from the night before. He did take a very careful bump when Punch Tomonaga does his apron slingshot headbutt. He fell on his ass and then slowly felt his back. So he's really careful about his neck and he was a little jerky. So this is just, I mean, it was it was big for the Hokkaido crowd and, you know, shows that BB Hulk can actually be in a ring versus being someone that a bump could be very dangerous to him. So it was kind of promising in that regard, but really not too much to talk about. The semi-main event of the second night in Sapporo was the King of Gate 2019 A block match of the night between Naruki Doi and Ryo Saito. Going to the match, both guys had some points, but were just kind of sitting around there. I mean, actually, to get back, Ryo Saito did not have points yet. But going to the match, Naruki Doi was 1-1. One one. He had the loss against KZ and then a win against Kazma. So he had two points, and Ryo Saito was only own one. So both of them were still in the thick of it and block A with Kazma out ahead. This was a 20-minute time limit draw. So both guys had points, moved Naruki Doi to 1-1-1 one, one, and one with three points, and Ryo Saito gets his first point, but he still does not have a win on the board. But he's not eliminated in block A as of yet, especially since... Kazma is still within distance if he wins out. He could go ahead of Kazma. Then you also have Doi had two matches left against Tomonaga and UT, so he was in decent place as well. And then the rest of the block is kind of all together, other than Tomonaga is getting pretty close to being eliminated. And UT at that point still had a couple matches on the board. So Block A was still wide open as of this show, and I love this match. I went four stars on it. I know that Alan Cunahan was very high on this match as well, and I liked this so much more than the first time on that draw the night before, just because this was a match that kind of takes you back and makes you realize, okay, although he's been doing comedy stuff for the last three years, Ryo Saito is a tremendous serious wrestler, and of course, Naruki Doi is one of those guys who has one of the best closing sprint segments in the company. So it just was really great, solid, solid stuff. Not as much comedy. I mean, the only real comedy Sirio had was going for the cycling Yahoo. But it was it, the early story of this match was how Ryo Saito tried to cut off momentum at any point for Naruki Doi, kind of getting into the viewer's head that. Naruki Doi, when he starts hitting Doi fives and then hits the Bakatari sliding kick, he gets he gets rolling and then you just take a succession of moves and you're not able to kick out of it. So I thought that was really kind of smart early and the crowd was really into it. I mean, Sireo was pretty over and there were still Doi Chan, Doi Chan calls and I mean, 
Naruki Doi is one of those people that, according to where he is, he's either the most popular guy in the building or one of the more hated guys in the building. So he's just very controversial in that regard. So this this was a crowd that was firmly behind Ryo Saito. And the thing that really got into it was the final stretch where you had that Naruki Doi kept on trying to go for the Doi's fives and go for Bakhtar's sliding kick. And within like the two-minute call, he hit... He hit three, uh, he just hit like these three doi fives, and he, then he was, and, and then it got converted into a snapdragon suplex from Sa- Rio Saito, and it was really kind of incredible. He made another muscular bomb tease, which is always amusing to see. And all in all, it just was a very entertaining match, and I enjoyed it a whole lot. And then the uh, final, tw- the final segments of the match was that. Doi kicked out of the double cross, which is a move you don't see that often out of Rio Saito, but he hit it right as the bell rang. And it's a tremendous match. I think this is a match that will make Infinity tape, and it, again, was a really strong performance for both of them. And it's nice to see Rio Saito doing his more serious act every once in a while, and especially in a tournament because, you know, he's someone that could really comedy it up in this tournament, and so far he really hasn't as of yet, and it was just kind of nice to see that. The main event of the show is, was a six-man tag between Tri Vanguard, Yamato, Kai, and UT versus the Strong Machine Army, and it was kind of interesting. I only went through in a quarter on this match. Uh, Strong Machine J got the win with the uh, Masha Fushiganame, the Devil Windmill Suplex on UT. Interesting match, not necessarily for good reasons, as we'll get into further on in this match but uh it just was a match that like for the first five minute segment it was try vanguard all in attack and it was probably the most concentrated five minutes that the strong machine army has taken so far so that was kind of interesting and then it went on to a really concentrated beatdown segment on ut which was fine it just kind of was what it was i mean strong machine army i've said enough times my opinion is strong machine army but it was okay and the big story coming out of this match, well, there's two big stories. After winning the match, the machines made a gesture implying that they wanted to get a triangle gate shot. So I don't know if that's going to be happening in Hakata on the final night of King of Gate, or if they're going to do this at Korokan, or if this is actually the big Kobe World title, triangle title match. I could see it being that. But the, uh, the big problem with this match... And the reason why I'm so bummed about talking about this match was in the closing minutes of the match, UT got injured because he took the Doomsday Collar or this Doomsday Bulldog that is usually one of the big closing stretch moves, and it fractured his clavicle. And because of that, he's on the shelf. He's had to forfeit his remaining matches in the tournament, which were looking at the at the tables as of that time which were a match against Rio Saito, a match against Kazma, and a match against Naruki Doi. So his first tournament, he finishes up at 1-4 with three of those being forfeits. He got that win over Punch Tomonaga, and the night before was his televised match against KZ. So that's a real huge bummer for me, and really for everyone, because UT's been probably the most consistent and most interesting wrestler on this roster this year so having a clavicle injury especially a fracture i mean this could put him on the shelf for 
six to 12 weeks. I mean, it looks like that this will keep him out of Kobe world and whatever's going to happen to after it. And it's just another bummer for Tri Vanguard who, you know, I mean, they just finally started to get people back. Flamita's coming back and it looks like Hulk will be back towards the end of the summer. And then UT, a guy on his rise who's had such a tremendous 2019 is now back on the shelf. And it was just, it was a freak. It was kind of a freak injury. It wasn't necessarily something where the super machine army did anything wrong, or sorry, the strong machine army did anything wrong. But it just kind of took me out of it, and it bothered me, be- just because the strong machine army, the acts getting stale, and they really they 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 showed very little urgency when they were under when they were getting attacked and when they were taking the heat in this match, and then they somehow injury ut which is a real big bummer and that kind of changes up a block a because that gives doi kazma and saito two more points each so doi left the show with five points kazma finishes his block with eight points maybe with how things were looking that could have been a win for ut right there and then that put uh rio saito at three points i mean kind of the the more telling thing is for Naruki Doi, now he's in a position that he really had to hope that that KZ would lose a match against Punch Tomonaga and Punch Tomonaga too. He had to beat Punch Tomonaga too because that's kind of where the uh, the whole bracket was was kind of turning out. But I gave it three and a quarter stars, and it just was a big bummer to kind of end like this and left the show in a damper. And you know, it still was a really strong show. I love that Naruki Doi versus Rio Saito title match. The singles matches, the single match between Dragon Kid and Shun Skywalker was fun too. And then the RED versus Benkei and, and Shisa tag was a whole lot of fun too. So even though it kind of ended on a bummer, it still was a pretty strong card. And I like the show a whole lot more than night one. Night three of the Sapporo Triple Shot was on the 26th of May. It'll be up on Dragon Gate Network until the 2nd. The attendance for night three was 714, which was up from the night before of 603. And comparing it to last December's attendance for the last night, it just was like about a handful higher. It was 709 there. Overall, this was a better high-end show than the other two nights the undercard to be quite honest up until they got to king of gate matches there was nothing you could really sick your teeth into and nothing that i expect would make the infinity taping to be honest i mean there was just kind of like a second gear opener a strong machine army tag and then two red versus maximum matches that kind of bled into each other but the King of Gate stuff was really, really solid, including someone who unknowingly became my MVP of the weekend. So let's just take a look at the show from the bottom up. And the opener was the maximum team of Dragon Kid and Jason Lee going against Masaki Mochizuki and Binkei, with the surprising result of Jason Lee getting the flash win on Mochizuki in 11 minutes and 28 seconds with the Law of Maga's Straw Cradle. And this was just kind of a fun second gear opener. There wasn't too much to it. It's a fun one. Not necessarily one I would go out of your way to see. There was The most interesting part was that Binkei took a lot more of the offense from Maximum than you would expect here. I mean, 
it's been pretty clear that whenever they've had these matches with Benkei teaming with someone else, usually the other person is going to be taking a lot more of the offense. But this time he did it. And then Jason Lee kicked out of a twister, which was kind of remarkable. And I mean, they already had a match between Mochizuki and Jason Lee in Hong Kong. So it was kind of interesting that he got the win there. But I went three stars and it was pretty solid. Match two was Strong Machine Army versus the Natural Vibes team of Sumi Yokosuka and Punch Tomonaga, along with their partner for the night, Super Shisa. And Strong Machine Army got the win in 12 minutes and 37 seconds, with Strong Machine F this time having a power bomb on Punch Tomonaga. And uh, it basically was like a seven minute beatdown on Punch Tomonaga off and on up until the closing stretch. There was a little bit of uh of shine there i mean she's uh, was trying to work his way out of the offense of the strong machine army but this is just a lower card strong machine army match i went two and three quarters on it but you know especially after they entered ut and it's just something that that's getting long in the tooth to me and i'll be glad when whatever resolution there is for this thing because it's just i i'm done with it Match three was a non-tournament singles match between Kaido Ishida and Ada, where Kaido Ishida won via disqualification in 8 minutes and 56 seconds due to RED interference. And this was just a pretty solid little match. I mean, I can't rate a match that just was like this in any of the way it did. It just was completely abrupt run-in where Ada was able to get all of our ED in and they attacked him Kaido with a box and a chair running from the other free and they threw the match out but you know this was just kind of fun crowd work and it was pretty solid and it's something that the two of them weren't in the same block so we didn't get to see them in the match but I'd be okay if there was a just a regular singles match between the two because Kaido was fun in this and this was motivated Ata. and what happened after this was that while R.E.D. was just tearing apart Kaido Ishida, the remainder of Maximum sprinted out to the ring, and that rolled into the next match, which was the the R.E.D. team of Big R. Shimizu and Yuzushi Kanda going up against Doi Yoshi, Masato Yoshino, and Naruki Doi. And it was... Uh, I'm looking at the results right now. I had that Masato Yoshino win with the Bakatari sliding kick. I don't remember exactly who got the pin off it and it's kind of weird if it was yoshino getting the fall off that but hey they won the match i went three and a quarter on this and it was nice that the dq kind of played into this and this it made sense why this was a sleaze fest because red spent the last five minutes being the crap out of the youngest guy and maximum so it made sense why doyoshi wanted to brawl a little bit and it was just kind of freewheeling fun i mean this was kind of the sleezed up a version of R.E.D. that I could tolerate, and especially after a weekend where I had to sit through a lot of Yazushi Kanda matches. I was happy that this one was pretty solid, and this kind of was like the best use of both Kanda and Masato Yoshino when Yoshino was taking a night off. So it was pretty good fun, and it had a satisfying one that played off the previous match, but you know, I went three and a quarter. This is not anything that's going to make a recommendation since it was so much brawling and you have Conda in it just kind of sleezing it up but it was a fun way to kind of finish off the undercard the first tournament match of the night was from the B, was from the D block and it featured Kai who came into the match at 1-1-1 one, one, and one with 3 points 
versus Shun Skywalker, who was two and one with four points. And this was a block that's pretty much jam packed at this time during the tournament, with basically everyone hovering at or around the leader. And at this point, both Masaki Mochizuki and Shun Skywalker were the leader at four points. So there was no runaway here, like how Ada got out to the lead in the B block and Susumu caught up, or Kazma in the A block, or how it was looking like that Ben K was treating the C block. Like this one really was compact and everyone was still really into it, except I guess really Mochizuki being two and two at that point really hurt him. But this was a really solid match, and it was an interesting one because it worked Kai's kind of style of opening and match match structure in that it was much more of a heavyweight-styled match where Shun got his licks in when he could, and they played off each other very well. This wasn't like a grinding Kai match like he had against Big R Shimizu on night one. This one was a pretty solid bell-to-bell match. Kai got the win in this match in 13 minutes and 6 seconds with the Meteo Impact, which moved Kai into the driver's seat of Block D at this time with 5 points, and Shun, after having a pretty quick start, fell back to earth. He was 2-2 two and two with 4 points with 1 match remaining in Chiba against Jason Lee, whereas Kai's last match would be in Yokosuka against Dragon Kid. So, I mean, it was... And that match is on the second. So, I mean, this was something that Kai could kind of rest up and see how the remainder of the shows were going to go. However, Shun would finish up his block within the next few days. But yeah, this was really well worked. And I like how Shun had his comebacks. And it kind of really kind of showed that although Shun has left Mochizuki Dojo, he still has a bit of a ways to go in comparison to someone like Benkei, who was just already tearing through the competition in the upper echelon. For someone like Kai, who as an outsider freelancer has been kind of all around the Japanese wrestling scene, with the exception, I think, of New Japan. He hasn't been in New Japan. I was just trying to think of other promotions. I don't think he's been in Big Japan either. I might be wrong. I don't follow Big Japan. But there, this was just a really well-worked match for what it was. I went three and three quarters on it. Shun was tremendous at selling at selling all the attacks that Kai was putting him through and then trying to rise up and be at his level. There was a moment where he hot, he hit the Ashla, but it was something that his back was hurting all through the match and kept on selling his back, so he wasn't able to get as much force into it as he would like, and then he tried to go for the Moonsault and, and missed it. And it was just was a really solid match. And to be honest, one of my favorite Kai matches, singles matches at least, in the promotion the first match out of intermission was another BB Hulk bonus match. This time it was a three-minute draw against Kota Minenora, which was kind of an interesting one because the match against Super Shisa, he didn't have to do a whole lot of mean. It was just like trading holds, and then with Punch Tomonaga, it just was him being down Punch Tomonaga for three minutes. But this was one where we got to see a little bit more of the classic Hulk offense. He did the downwards axe kick when... Kota Minora was kneeling. He teased the EVO, which after that he looked like he was hurting pretty bad. But, you know, it was, it was just kind of a nice little thing for his home prefecture crowd to do that. The semi-main event was a Block A match between KZ and Ryo Saito. Going into this match, KZ was at 2-1 with 4 points, and Ryo Saito's only point came from his draw with Naruki Doi. And 
really for KZ, he has the loss to uh, to Kazuma Sakamoto, which is something that's really kind of holding him back so far in the tournament. And this was going to be his last match up until up until six two, which was going to be the Shonya Yokosuka. So this was a pretty big thing that if he got past Ryo Saito, got what would what one would assume would be relatively easy points, he would be in a good position at least. It's going to be tough for him to get out of the block, but it would be something that would put him in a good position going forward. And of course, uh, Ryo Saito at this point was just trying to find points any way he could get them. He still would have two matches after this, one against uh, Re- uh, one against Punch Tominaga, so you'd think that he could pick up some points there. But at this point, he really just had to do anything he could to remain in the tournament. The result of this match in 15 minutes and 38 seconds was KZ winning with the impact. And this is my favorite match of the entire weekend in Hokkaido. I mean, Ryo Saito, who would think that he would have back-to-back four-star notebook matches? And he brought it. We got more serious Ryo Saito in this. And he immediately went after KZ's arm, which kind of has been the story so far of KZ's time and Hokkaido where each time he would try to start off the match everyone was like nope I don't want to deal with elbow smashes and uppercuts I'm taking this out and it's kind of to a testimony to how good he's gotten at selling the arm that like he will like try to throw a elbow smash and you can just tell that he doesn't have as much mustard on it as he normally would and it just was really kind of cool because during this match, you kind of got the idea of, oh, Ryo Saito, he's all serious, but you know he's going to go for the cycling Yahoo. You know there's going to be a moment in this match where he's going to be like, okay, I, I can lock it in here. And in a match like this, cycling Yahoo, of course it works the knee and the leg, but it's also, he traps the arm as well, so it's extending the arm as, as a side effect. So you're like, okay, this could actually be a believable submission. And he really locked it in pretty well and it wasn't played up as like a jokey thing there of course the first time KZ ran to the crawl to the ropes was like no I'm not dealing with this bullshit I'm not having this but the second time he locked it in it was a legitimate kind of moment of okay is this actually going to get a win here so that was kind of interesting and a nice thing for Rio Saito to pull out of his playbook and right bef- right after that there was this awesome moment where he was going to go for his fisherman suplex hold and Instead of the two of them were like struggling and it looked like KZ was going to try to go for a brain buster, but partway through executing the suplex, he was like, "Oh, KZ is going to might try to slide around, slide out of this if I throw backwards." So instead, what he did was he turned into a fisherman suplex into a sit out spine buster, which was really kind of neat and it was awesome. And he's had some great offense in this. He managed hit the double cross for a near fall, which. You know, we don't see the double cross that often, so seeing uh, like, teases for it and seeing him hit it on back-to-back nights was really kind of cool. And then the finishing stretch was great, where Casey finally shook out his elbow, gave one of the meanest-looking forms I've seen, and it was right on the hard cam, where he just clocked him right in the jaw before hitting the impact. And this was my favorite match of the weekend, and for shows that have had somewhat weak undercards and a couple questionable King of Gate matches to have a match like this really was a nice way for KZ to finish up the televised part of his weekend in his home prefecture. 
So coming out of this match, this put KZ at 3-1 with 6 points. KZ again has the match against Punch Tominaga, so it puts him in a very good place going forward. And it means that he might not outright win the block, but it's to be expected that he'll get out of the block and be able to be in the knockout stage. I mean, it looks like this way, just uh, Kazma has the block in his hand. And Ryo Saito, just being at one point, he's eliminated. I mean, he's done. There's not much for him else to do. The most he can get is five points, which two guys in the block already have. So, yeah, he's done. And he had himself a great weekend in Hokkaido. I mean... When I saw how many televised matches he had, I was kind of like, ugh, ugh, given how Ryo Saito has been in past years. But, he, man, he brought it in Hokkaido, so good for him. The main event for the weekend in Hokkaido was the C-block match between Yamato and Takashi Yoshida. Going into this match, Yamato was 0-2, so he had a very slow start against Benkei and Kinki Horiguchi, whereas Sakashi Yoshida was tied for the lead with Genki Horiguchi, who was nearly done with his entire tournament, and with uh, Benkei, who only had two matches, and as I mentioned before, was undefeated. He was 2-1 with four points. Yamato got himself on the board in this match, though, so coming out of the weekend in Hokkaido, he was 1-2 and two with 2 points, and in that block, it's going to be hard to catch up with Benkei to see who would be the winner to get out of it, but he was in good enough position to maybe get the second spot in the knockout round, and Yoshida now has a couple tiebreakers to deal with now that he has lost to both Kaido Ishida and Yamato. If there was a tie, then the tie would go to Yamato since he would have the direct head-to-head -head win. Yamato got this win in 15 minutes and 34 seconds with his choke sleeper. I went three and a half stars on it. This was a really fun match. It was not worked like a usual Yamato singles match where I've gone on enough about how slow he is. But this one was actually pretty fast paced because it was Yoshida's power that was the big story in this. And the question that's supposed to be in the back of everyone's head was, okay, is Yamato going to get himself into this match or is he going to be practically eliminated now if he couldn't get himself in? And there was a really big moment in a close count out where Yoshida powerbombed him to on the outside onto the apron and ever since then it was just him kind of struggling to get himself into it and you know for a 15 minute match Yamato had flourishes and he had moments but he really didn't he really didn't have a whole lot of this he had like little streaks little streaks there was a moment earlier on where he had the choke sleeper on he was able to get the good hospital one or two he was not even trying for the Galleria whereas Yoshida was able to pretty much each time that Yamato seemed to try to get the advantage would either have an insecurity or a throat chop or something to get himself back in control so this was just a fun match it was one of the better Takashi Yoshida singles matches I can remember I mean he's pretty notorious on having some some suspect chemistry with people and he didn't really have a great title match against Yamato when Yamato had that long reign a couple of years ago. But this was a fun one. The three and a half stars, I mean, really, all three of the tournament matches are worth checking out if you have the ability to. And, you know, if I were to suspect if certain matches out of the show are going to make whatever edits and whatever episodes of Affinity they have, I had to suspect that the three tournament matches would both make it. I mean, they both were pretty strong matches, in my opinion.
So there wasn't a whole lot of translation or commentary for this weekend, but there was something said after the final night in Sapporo, which after the night before where there was kind of just a promo for them to try to buy time to see how bad UT was shoken up and how his clavicle was, this time Yamato did not want to close the show for questionable speech two nights in a row, so he called out BB Hulk since he's from Sapporo and it's fitting for him to be, to give the closing speech. And Hulk very gingerly went out to the ring and the entire time he was choking back tears and he mentioned that he was holding back tears because of how moved he was at how amazing everyone is. Being a Dragon Gate wrestler is not easy. People came up to him all the time and asked him, please come back, but it's not that simple. He doesn't know when he'll be able to do it, but he's been told by doctors he can think about coming back during the summer, and he'll do his best to be back to the old BB Hulk by the time they can't return to Sapporo in December. And he was barely keeping it together this. Like, he would take moments to wipe away tears, and, you know, it... I could tell that these three matches that he had, even with them being just three-minute exhibition matches, were tough on his body. He was in pretty rough shape. But the fact that they think that, you know, by sometime this summer he'll be willing, he'll be able to think about coming back. I mean, it was a pretty nasty-looking neck injury he had, and you know, ironically, it was against the guy that was seconding Yamato in this match and Kai. So it was kind of it was a nice moment to kind of end this weekend on, and especially with. Hulk being so tied to Hokkaido and Sapporo in particular. And, I mean, they could do so much for KZ. And KZ, of course, is from Hokkaido. He's from Abetsu. But this really is kind of... Sapporo is really Hulk's area. I mean, he just opened a bar in the same neighborhood as this gem. I mean, he very he very much is emblematic of the prefecture. So having him kind of close down the weekend, I felt like, was very appropriate. And, you know... For a weekend of shows, a triple shot that they had to work back to back to back nights, I walked away with like each night having a four star match and a lot of the tournament matches being good. I mean, don't get me wrong, there were some stinkers out here, but the last night was probably my favorite night from uh, opening bell to the end. I mean, everything kind of flowed together, and the three singles matches were pretty solid, pretty solid matches and. As the last televised show of uh, Round Robin play, I was happy to, to have them go out on a night like that with three matches that I thought were three and a half stars or better. Before I finish up this episode of Open the Voice Gate, I wanted to take a look back at the group stage of King of Gate since it's now on to the knockouts. I'm going to leave the A block for last because there's something to be talked about and this is the one that had the uh, injury that required someone pulling out and it's pretty obvious to see that they are doing stuff to make up for it but anyways so the b block was won by ada he had a clean sweep five and O, and this was the block that i remember talking with case about it and we thought that there were kind of three candidates to advance out of this and then the other three that we figured would be just non-factors maybe they would steal a win so that the other people would have a stumbling block but didn't seem to be that case this year so ada wins with five and oh and as the red leader it's i mean he's got to kind of be the one that advance out of it so sumi yokosuka finished in second with a four and one record his only loss was against ada he's the brave gate champ 
the pretty much the number two in natural vibes. So not surprised that he would end up with a runner-up position. Third in the B block is Masato Yoshino. And when Case and I talked, I think it was on episode 40, and gave our preview of King of Gate, when we looked at this block, we were like, okay, there's really the three people that we think they can get out and the three people that, you know, are going to be bringing up the bottom of it. And it was Yoshino, Yokosuka, and Ada. And kind of weird that it's Yoshino as the one finishing third. Three and two, his losses were against Susumu and Ada. And interestingly enough, this is kind of the worst year for Maximum since they've been a unit, at least for the... Uh, blocks for king of gate i in the past either yoshino who won it last year or doi did pretty well in the tournament but no one from maximum advanced out of the group stage the four-way tie for last in the block was yosuke san maria yuki yoshioka and yazushi kanda all three of them got a one and four record with two points uh yoshioka had his only win over Maria. Maria had a win over Kanda, and Kanda had a win over Yoshioka. So it was just indistinguishable if you're going to do a head to head there. And to be honest, no big surprise there. You've heard me rant for the last hour or so about how much I dislike Yuzushi Kanda in the ring nowadays. So he was going to end up this way. Yoshioka. For a guy of his position, that's kind of where you finish up. And Maria's kind of the lost post again in a comedy character, so they're not going to have much to do with Maria. So finishing last made as much sense as anything. C Block had Benkei do a clean sweep as well, 5-0 and in 10 points. And it just was clear that he was going to win from the get-go, at least when this block and his and still think he's probably the the uh, locker room favorite to be the winner of the tournament in general. So 5 and 0, 10 points. Runner up was Yamato who finished up at 3 and 2 for 6 points. I mean, Tri Vanguard leader, Twin Gate champion. His only losses were against Binke and Horiguchi and of course Ginky Horiguchi always kind of has that power to be a upset and the tournament so you know not too big of a surprise there third place was a three-way tie between Ginky Horiguchi Takashi Oshida and Kaido Oshida so just reading off their records each of them had four points they were two and three Ginky had wins over Yamato and Oshida Takashi Oshida had wins over Horiguchi and Kagatora and Kaido Shida had wins over Yoshida in Kagatora. So, pretty good tournament for Kaito. I mean, he was the runner-up in the Rookie Ranking League. You know, one win below 500 from for King of Gate. So, he got his Kachikochi versus his Makakochi. Uh, Genki Horiguchi, he's not necessarily a full-timer. He only really does televised events and some shows that he'll just show up on. So no big surprise there. And Yoshida, you know, he's someone that's kind of an X-factor in general. In the company, I mean, he did Champion Carnival this year, but for the most point part, he is pretty low on the list in 
his unit. I mean, he is a Triangle Gate champion, but he he is who he is nowadays. So no big surprise there. And Kagatora finished last in the C block. One and four record. Got a win on Ginky Horiguchi. So, you know, that's kind of a disappointment. It seems like he's being slotted further down than you would expect, especially for someone who... To, Trying to think it was last year or two years ago, he was the Brave Gate champion, and they really are kind of having problems trying to find out where he should fit. I mean, he had a Triangle Gate challenge last year, but, you know, he's just kind of a guy that's just there nowadays, and this 1-4 in four record's kind of evidence of that. D-Block was a lot more of a compact block, and to be honest, it was the one that was kind of hardest to pick someone to come out of because you had great candidates for advancement pretty much everyone except for jason you could make a strong argument for them advancing like they don't usually do a huge rookie underdog kind of storyline for this tournament so jason was going to get out and everyone else you can make a solid argument for it but the winner of this block was kai he had a 3-1-1 one, one record for 7 points, and that has him advancing on. We're against uh, Jason Lee, Dragon Kid, Shun Skywalker. He, had, he suffered the loss against Masaki Mochizuki, and he had the time limit draw with Shimizu. So, you know, Mochizuki ended up finishing. He had two pretty strong wins there, so it's not necessarily a hard thing, but it ended up being that the win against Shun put him in clear, and whereas like the tie with Shimizu kind of kept everyone in the hunt there. Speaking of Shun, he was the runner-up here. He finished up with a three and two record. His losses were that one I mentioned against Kai, and that one against Dragon Kid, which was a fun show, fun match for him that last night in Hokkaido. So, you know, I thought there was going to be a chance for him getting out, especially since he left Mochizuki Dojo. So. He ends up with the runner-up position and doesn't get out due to the format of it. Third place was Big R Shimizu. He finished at 2-2-1. His wins were against Dragon Kid and Jason Lee. He had that tie against Kai. It's just like kind of a firmly in-the-middle performance. I didn't think too much of him during the tournament. And, you know, didn't think too much of him. And he ended up being middle of the table. So no big surprise there. There was a three-way tie for fourth place in the the D block. It was Dragon Kid, Jason Lee, and Misaki Mochizuki. All three of them finished up with a two and three record for four points. Dragon Kid had a win over Mochizuki and Shin Skywalker. Jason Lee had the win, had wins over Dragon Kid, and probably his biggest singles win of his Dragon Gate career against Misaki Mochizuki in his native Hong Kong. And then uh, Misaki Mochizuki only had wins against Kai and Shimizu. So I guess really the big surprise there is Mochizuki finishing tied for last in the block. I mean, Jason finished about where I would expect. Dragon Kid seems like they're cycling him down at least for a little bit. So him finishing that way doesn't surprise me too much. But yeah, Mochizuki being in a last place tie kind of is. But I mean, he gave up the big win for Shun. I mean, Shun getting that win is really key for his development and moving on from Mochizuki Dojo. Dropping a fall to Dragon Kid isn't a big deal and 
you know, he also dropped that fall to Jason Lee. So, I mean, Mochizuki did a big job, did had a big job on his plate of elevating the two younger wrestlers in this block, and he did so. And then in order to keep him strong, he still had wins against Kai and Shimizu, who are the first and third place place in the block. So even though he finished in the last place, Misaki Mochizuki had an important role in King of Gate, at least in the D block. All right, it's time to talk about the A block. This is where there ended up being a first place tie. There was the injury of the tournament, which if you look at the uh, June 6th Korokin card, it makes it pretty clear that the UT injury put them in a tough place, and that's why there is a tie break happening when there was a direct win by one person over the other. And, you know, the rest of it was just kind of weird. So getting into it, I'm just going to talk from the bottom up because it's going to be easier because you need to take some time to talk about the rest of it. Ponch Tomonaga was the only person in the tournament to finish without a single point. He was 0-5. There's no big surprise there. You know what I mean? He's coming back from injury, and he's never really booked strong in these tournaments. The uh, fifth place position was CUT, and... You know, I mean, he got the win on Tomonaga, and he was injured in the main event of the second Sapporo show, and that threw a wrench into it. Uh, this was probably a tournament where I think he probably would have finished with at least one more win, and that win was going to play into the result of the block. So, you know, it's a shame, and clavicle injuries are kind of tricky, so who hope? So at least I hope that he get, comes back soon and next year he gets a chance to better have a platform to show what he can do. Fourth place was Ryo Saito. He finishes basically at perfect, at, not perfect, basically at 500 as he has five points, two, two, and one record. His wins were against Tomonaga and UT. The tie was against Naruki Doi and that tie pretty much knocked Naruki Doi out of contention in the tournament. And his losses were against KZ and Kazuma. And as I talked a little bit earlier, I loved Ryo Saito in this tournament. It was nice to see big match Sai Ryo out there and not as much of the goofy stuff. And, you know, for someone who's been treated as a comedy figure for most of the last three years, with the exception of, I guess, what you could consider the Shingo Takagi feud and... Also, the Dreamgate match against he had against Masaki Mochizuki at the end of 2017. He's not really been a frontline player, but finishing this way and doing it in the fashion he did deserves recognition, and good for you, Sairio, showing that you can still bring it and not just be a comedy guy. Third place in the A block was Naruki Doi. He finished up at 7 points, a 3-1-1 one, one record. As I just mentioned, the tie against Sairio probably was the thing that stopped him from advancing. I mean, he lost against KZ in the first night, but had a clean sheet. Other than that, did not drop another fall in the tournament, just had that time limit draw. But yeah, you know, it's very clear that Naruki Doi kind of is on the back burner. It kind of sounds like that if Ultimo Dragon is coming back at the 20th Kobe World Show, that we might see some sort of Ultimo Dragon versus Doi Yoshi team. So seems they had other plans for him. So let's get into the mess. I say this for last. 
the tie for first place in the block and to be decided at the June 6th Corican is between KZ and Kazuma Sakamoto. And it's of my belief that Kazuma was supposed to lose to UT. He finished 4-1. His loss was against Naruki Doi. And that would have put him at 6 points. That would have put UT at 4 points with without knowing what the results were going to be for the rest of his tournament. And I think it would have been a pretty strong indicator that UT was on the rise and Kazuma, you know, would have a strong finish, finishing 3rd in the block, and it would have kept Naruki Doi and KZ looking strong. But sadly, UT got hurt, and that changed around the rest of of the tournament, and that's why there's going to be the tiebreak at Corkin on the 6th. KZ's only loss was against Kazma, and that's why you know that the plan couldn't have been that Kazma was going to win this block, because there's a direct win that he had over KZ, but given that UT was hurt, and they had to have him forfeit those matches, this was kind of the best way, I would say, I would guess, to figure out what the deal is there, and just say, okay, even though there was a direct head-to-head loss, same points, we're going to do a tie-break match. Before getting into the lineup for Thursday's Cork, and I want to talk about some people who are going to be on tour in Dragon Gate, at least assuming to the lead-up through Kobe World, it sounds like. So we already knew that Flamita is going to be back, and no surprise there, he usually comes back around this time for Kobe World, but... He's had an interesting pair of wrestlers that he's bringing along with him. First off is Drastic Boy, and Drastic Boy has been getting some AAA bookings as of late. I mean, Fomita used to bring him nearly every tour. He's someone that every time I see him, I like him a little bit more, so I'm interested to see how he's going to be in this tour, and especially considering that he's probably going to be a little bit more featured because of the other person that's coming along with them, and... It's always been kind of surprising that he never really stuck, but I guess he's just kind of Flamita's guy. And, you know, I guess since Daga's busy or injured, I don't know, I haven't kept too much up with Daga lately. It's kind of surprising that he's not coming along with, especially since he's still featured in the RED merchandise. So kind of a little bit surprised there that no Daga instead we get Jurassic Boy. But but the person I wanted to talk to y'all about for this was Jimmy. Jimmy is the third person coming to Dragon Gate for this next tour. I don't know if he's staying through to Kobe World, but I wouldn't be surprised if he is. Jimmy is a wrestler from DTU, which if you're someone who's kind of kept up to with Dragon Gate, or if you're new, DTU was the home for UT Ada and T-Hawk when they were on excursion in Mexico and that's where Flamita and Jurassic Boy originally were brought from into Dragon Gate. Jimmy is younger. I have to I I think he's still in his teens. I assume he's at least 18, but the interesting thing about Jimmy was that he was one of the former DTU kids characters that was a nerd. So his name for the longest time was Jimmy Nerd. So that's kind of amusing to me. He's been wrestling, I think, for close, at least four or five years. I remember hearing about him in 2015. He might have started even younger. DTU sometimes starts wrestlers as young as 10. They do like an after-school program from my understanding of it. So I thought that was kind of cool that he's getting a tour here. But 
One last thing about Jimmy before moving on to the Corkin show is that Jimmy was a part of an interesting match in competition last year. You see, last year, DTU did this somewhat tournament, somewhat league competition where the winner of it was going to do a tour of Dragon Gate. And this all culminated with a match in DTU where Shima was in town. This was in February of 2019 when he did the show in the crash and he did a couple dates around Mexico. And it was a team of Shima, uh, Negro Casas was on our team, which was kind of wild. And there's some others I'm forgetting, but the big thing was that the winner of this match and the person chosen would go do a tour of Dragon Gate. And I guess it was more of a Shima thing because the winner was a guy named Moria and he completely fell off the planet. Like I've not heard of Moria since. I assume he's still working DTU, maybe he has another gimmick, but he never came over. So a lot of people thought that this was something that kind of evaporated when the OWE split happened. But now we're getting Jimmy to come aboard and he's a young wrestler. It'll be interesting to see how he how he fits in Dragon Gate going going on this tour. I kind of get the sense that this might be a tryout for a longer a longer chance for him in the future. So we get three luchadors coming in from Mexico that I guess are going to stick with us going into Kobe world. Looking forward, the only card that we have for the next few weeks is the Corkin, and this is the second Corkin for the King of Gate tour. And we probably don't have the two shows that are going to happen in Fukuoka until after this, just because there's tournament matches that are happening on this Corkin. So this Corkin is on Thursday, June 6th. It's an eight-match card, and it will have the uh, Block A playoff and then the tournament matches, the semifinals, which will be decided via lottery. If I were to guess, I assume that KZ is winning the Block A tiebreaker, and he's probably going to face off against Ada. I, I would think it's going to be against Ada, and then Ben K is going to go against Kai because this seems natural to have Ada versus Ben K as your King Gate finals a couple days later. If I'm right, I'm just doing this off the top of my head. I believe the finals are on the 8th in Fukuoka. They're doing two shows there. So I think that it's either the 8th or 9th that's happening this weekend, though. So taking a look at the rest of the card, and the opener is an 8-man tag. It is Kness, Problem Dragon, Dragon Daya, and Jurassic Boy going up against Brother Yashi, Punch Tomonaga, Hiroshi Yamato, and the debuting Jimmy from DTU. So... That's kind of a fun opener. We haven't seen Dragon Daya much on this King of Gate tour. And of course, since this is a cork, and that means that pretty much all hands are on deck. And that means that Hiroshi Yamato will make his monthly appearance. And you will see how Jimmy is in this opening match. Match two is the A block tiebreaker match that I talked about earlier between KZ and Kazma in the traditional second match, singles match position. Match three is the Strong Machine Army against three people that were in the rookie ranking tournament, but not all from Mochizuki Dojo, as Kaido Ishida is going to be tagging up with Hio Watanabe and Kota Minenora. And, you know, interesting tag, interesting people on the youngster side. I mean, can't think of very many times that Ishida and Watanabe have teamed, and Minenora being added will be pretty interesting, I, I guess, 
given what's all happened with the Strong Machine Army, this would be a pretty obvious conclusion of that match. Match 4 is kind of a juicy one, where it is the other members of Mochizuki Dojo, consisting of Masaki Mochizuki and Yuki Yoshioka, going against Shun Skywalker and Kisuke Okuda. Okuda was on tour with Dragon Gate most of May. He was not on the Hokkaido shows because I believe he had a previous engagement to doing Ultima Dragon's Dragon Mania show of all places. So he was in Mexico City at Arena Mexico over that weekend, but he's coming back and he's teaming with Shun Skywalker. And I kind of thought that when they did the two unit expulsion slash exits at Dead or Alive that Shun Skywalker and, and Benkei would start gravitating in each other's orbit. That was a big thing at the May Corican. And of course, Akuda was really close friends with Benkei in high school. So if there's going to be a nucleus of a new unit, I could see it starting to emerge in this matchup here. There is no official 20th anniversary commemoration series match this this. Corkin, which is kind of surprising, but we do have someone making his return, which is very exciting for me, as Kanichiro Rai is making his return to the Dragon Gate ring. His last show was in June of 2016 with Dragon Gate. He was someone that was being mostly phased out since about 2014. There was the he was in the members. He was a member of one of the uh, various team veteran units, the one that merged with Madogiwa Windows. But he was starting to phase out. He kind of had the Hiroshi Yamato schedule of only working Corrigans. And then nowadays, he mostly wrestles in Wrestle One and some of the other smaller indies. And he's making his appearance here. And his team that he's going to be with is kind of a fun team of. Susumi Yokosuka, Ginki Horiguchi, and Ryo Saito. And they'll be going up against the maximum team of Doi Yoshi, Masato Yoshino, and Ruki Doi, Dragon Kid, and Jason Lee. And the big thing, at least with Yoshino, is he's been the one that's been requesting for Ultimo Dragon to make his return to Dragon Gate. And the big end of the show in May was, of course, that Toru Washi said he saw Ultimo the the day before and he Ultimo wanted to know if it was just Yoshino asking or the entire roster and the entire roster said yes we want Ultimo to come back and we want to see him in Dragon Gate so I don't know if it's gonna be around then or after the uh, King of Gate semifinals matches but Toru Washi said he'd be back next month with an answer match six is a Tri Vanguard versus RED match as Yamato Kakatora, Yosuke Santa Maria, and Flamita making his return face off against Pac, Bigar Shimizu, Yuzushi Kanda, and Takashi Yoshida. And I don't know how long Pac is on this tour. I'm looking at the show schedule at least for the remainder of June going into July, and there's about uh, 10 to 12 days between taped shows as. They go on tour after Fukuoka. They don't have another tape show until the 22nd, where there they have three tape shows in a week before the July Corkin. So I don't know if he's just... I don't think he's flying over just for these three shows and flying back to fly back over again for Kyoto and, and 
Kobe Sambo Hall, but he might be. Uh, it is noted that he is off of all the AEW shows that were happening during this time period, and that's kind of noticeable because if you look at the AEW schedule next to the Dragon Gate schedule side by side, you can see that All Elite was going to run their second show on the 29th, which makes that kind of an issue because that's where Kobe Sembo Hall would have a show. So who knows? He's no longer doing AEW, at least in the near term. So he might be back here. So interesting eight-person tag as the last non-tournament match and then the two semifinals finish up the card. So it's an interesting-looking Corkin. I mean, we get to see the debut of Jimmy from DTU, the returns of Jurassic Boy and Flamita, Pac showing up. I'm personally out of my mind that Kenichiro Rai is back in Dragon Gate. I've said many times, but Kenichiro Rai was a part of my, my, at least my emotional favorite Dragon Gate tag team of Kenichiro Rai and Taku Awasa. So maybe they've been seeing my tweets and listening to me and Maybe Taku Awasa and Kenichiro Rai might make a one-night return, at least for the 20th anniversary anniversary series. So, interesting card. And, again, that's on Thursday the 6th. The next shows after that will be on the 8th and 9th from across Fukuoka. And then they are off until the 22nd and 29th. So... There's going to be five televised shows. All of them will be on Dragon Gate Network, and they will be on the Dragon Gate Network for a week as a VOD after the show. So this show on the 6th will remain up on Dragon Gate Network until the 13th. But that's going to do it for us this time on Open the Voice Gate. Thank you all again for listening. If you get a chance, please follow the podcast Twitter account at Open Voice Gate or my own Twitter account at Fujiheya, that's Fuji with two eyes like Don Fuji. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us either as a part of the Voices of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network RSS feed, or we have one of our own if you just want open the voice gate. And we're on basically every podcast platform you can find. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify. If you're trying to find a way to find us, you can find us. And if you get a chance, please rate and review us on the Catcher app of your choice. But until next time, thank you all for listening, and we'll be back soon.